Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Good evening. It's good to be back in the house tonight. Uh, hopefully everybody had a chance or got the text message we sent out, got the information we sent out. We had a little bit of a delay tonight uh, as we um, having a little technical difficulty getting uh, the YouTube feed up and running. Uh, but we are on Facebook Live. So hope everybody put out their invites. And uh, I know there's some watch parties going and, and all of those things. So uh, this evening, I uh, just want to open up with a word of prayer. And uh, we'll have some information uh, very soon. Again, thank you for those who have been faithful and continued in their worship and giving. Uh, it, it's going to continue to help the church, help us continue to take care of things here. Uh, I know it's a little bit different. Uh, but uh, certainly God will continue to bless us, and uh, it is his church. And so we want to go to him in prayer this evening before we get started, and uh, just welcome him in, and uh, we're going to dive right into the service. There'll be no worship service this evening. We're just going to take a little bit more of a casual approach, as you can, as you can see. All right, in Jesus' name, God, we're very thankful. Uh, we're very honored, Lord God, and privileged to serve in your house, Lord Jesus. We're thankful for all those who have chosen tonight among all the choices they could get in their broadcast entertainment and other places they could be tonight. God, that they've chosen to join in with us, uh, to hear your word, uh, to hear an inspiration, perhaps, God, some encouragement tonight. We would ask that you would be with us, Lord. Use me as your vessel tonight, Lord God, and uh, guide us through this uh, wonderful time together with our families. Uh, encourage us, lift our spirits tonight, God. We'll give you the praise and the thanks and the glory in Jesus' precious name, amen. So I might cut in here in just a little bit if I get the signal from up top that we're live on YouTube. I'll say a quick word to welcome in our YouTube viewers tonight. And so this evening, uh, we do have our service uh, on Friday, before I forget, on Friday at 7 p.m., we will have a short worship service. That's going to be a good Friday. Uh, and uh, in our uh, virtual uh, online service that night will, of course, be our communion time together. So again, encouraging you, if you can, uh, try to, to, of course, it's wonderful if you can seek out the best possible elements. Of course, that would be something unleavened on the order of a soda cracker of some kind, uh, and certainly some grape juice or something very close to that. Uh, but if you can gather those elements together, we're going to be right here on the platform, and we will be conducting communion service with you. Very important time. Uh, Jesus commanded us to do, the, do so in memorial of him, and we want to honor that, of course, on the day uh, of his Passover and uh, certainly recognizing the season that we're in, the, uh, the day of his crucifixion and death. And uh, so please join us on Friday night at 7 o'clock for that. And then on uh, Easter Sunday morning, 10 a.m., right back here on our two channels. Just reminding you again, uh, Abundant Life Apostolic Church Facebook feed, uh, if you choose for YouTube, YouTube is Abundant Life Church Media. And hopefully we'll have that up here uh, very shortly. So, uh, for this evening, considering the next two services coming, I thought it would be fun, uh, if it's okay, if we have a little fun uh, in this time of, of uh, uh, challenge and time of stress. Uh, I think it's okay if we uh, enjoy one another's company. Uh, we look to bring a little lightheartedness, but at the same time, we can still look into the Word, enjoy God's Word, enjoy fellowship with our families as we uh, look to Him. And so, I thought it would be fun uh, to just do what I just decided to call an evening with the pastor, just a, a simple casual time where we could uh, send in some questions, uh, anything that was on your heart, anything on your mind, questions that you had, and, uh, and I would take some time to answer those questions. Uh, so it won't be a long evening, I promise you that. I've got four questions, I'll try to get to all four of them, and I know that doesn't sound like many. I did get a couple others, uh, but uh, I wanna be conscious of time and I certainly keep uh, your attention captured as best I can. And so these questions are directly from uh, our congregation, uh, uh, very good, very well thought out questions, and, uh, and I thought it would be enjoyable to preach your message tonight. And uh, if, it's a, if it's enjoyable and it's something that we feel is beneficial and, and you've got something from it, I'm sure I'll get some feedback. Perhaps we would look at doing that again, uh, perhaps even maybe have a couple of guests with us, maybe our bishop down the road. Uh, or some of our other staff. So why don't we dive right in and I'll give you the uh, scripture reference as I'm going in, but I'll give you the question first. And so we have four questions. Uh, there will be some scripture reference. So if you grab your Bibles or you have your Bible app with you, uh, I'll direct you to 
those scriptures, and uh, I'll, I'll list out the question first. Um, again, it's completely confidential, so I won't be providing the person, uh, but uh, we'll dive into the question, and then I'll approach uh, my answer on that question. Now, I'm going to give you my perspective, my study, everything that I know. Uh, I spent a lot of time on these just to make sure, again, that, that uh, uh, I, I really got into the word Uh, took opinion. There's no opinion here. There's no, uh, this is the way I think about it. If there is a piece of opinion on one of the questions, I will let you know specifically that it is a a view from my perspective and you'll understand why. Other than that, this is directly from the word of God and uh, and study. Um, I just got the signal that uh, YouTube is just signing on. So if you are just now getting your feet on YouTube, sorry, we had a little bit of a technical issue and it was taking us a little time to get it uploaded. So I was just giving introduction to our question and answer session tonight, an evening with the pastor. The other reason I wanted to do that is just, again, uh, I've been speaking to so many of you by phone, uh, text message, uh, some of you that uh, uh, just took the time to send a letter over to us. We've gotten cards in the mail, text messages. Uh, Thank you for understanding that right now, uh, with this massive change in the way that we do business around here, so to speak, at Abundant Life, has consumed a tremendous amount of, of my time and working with all of the people that came together and in a matter of just a few days put together uh, online streaming, uh, connected everything together, all the equipment, uh, funded all of that, uh, set up online giving, uh, created a strategy here for the building. So thank you to all those folks and for your understanding as I'm continuing to reach out uh, to speak with each of you. So, uh, but this was another way that I could just connect with everyone on just a little bit more of a casual basis. So I'm going to dive on in. As I said, I'm going to read the question first, uh, and then I'll get into my perspective, the study that I did on each of the questions with scriptural reference, and then we'll go from there. Okay, first question I got uh, had a little bit of humor uh, tied into it. I really enjoyed reading it. Came on text message, a uh, bit of humor, but it is a poignant thought. Uh, after all, and uh, it relates to the period after our lockdown time, after this, uh, this period of safe at home is lifted. And uh, so the question goes like this. It says, I can watch church from my recliner, have altar call from my recliner, and tithe from my recliner. How are you going to get me out of my recliner and back to church? And so uh, I thank the person who sent that in. We had a good chuckle about it. Uh, but I, the first thought that I had in this question, and of course this is something people have questioned, should we, should we continue live streaming after we're done? What if, what if people just decide, hey, I like this live streaming, and I'm just going to stay home, it's more convenient. And, uh, or, or should we cut it off and record our services, uh, and then people will be more apt to want to come and be at service and, and, and pick them up later on recording. And so uh, that debate has been had. We've discussed that amongst our leadership team. And I can tell you that unanimously, the decision was made that we will continue live streaming our services. The feedback that has happened, the the number of contacts that we've had from people, family members reaching out, people that are signing in, uh, viewing, has been tremendous. And I know that Bible studies have begun uh, through this process. We've known that we've had some excellent results. And so we are definitely going to continue the live streaming process. So, Pastor, does that mean that you just don't care if people uh, just don't come to church because they can watch you on TV? Well, my answer to that is I absolutely do care, and I certainly do not want people to forsake uh, coming here if they can or if they're in the vicinity uh, and and should. And so uh, my first point on this was that, ironically, uh, all of these things were possible uh, prior to lockdown, prior to the safe-at-home order. And maybe not through this church specifically. Obviously, we just got up and running with uh, live stream. Uh, but there are definitely other churches were available in providing this for quite a while. They were much more, a little further down the road in that process. So this option has actually been available uh, for other people. They could have stayed home and said, well, I get church from one of the other guys that broadcast. Uh, thankfully, I don't think we saw a lot of that per se. Uh, but now are we, are we necessarily training people that that's okay. Well, I will tell you from my perspective as the pastor, I would set the expectation and continue to communicate that we must gather together, that no, it, uh, it is not the expectation that if you're able and capable, uh, you should be here 
in God's house. Now, perhaps some have had a more casual approach to that, uh, making it to service in the past. Uh, as humans, we too do tend to take things for granted. We, we can kind of get a little bit out of alignment and sort of uh, prioritize in a way that isn't maybe the way the pastor team or, or the way the ministry would like to see it. Um, when I was growing up in the church back in the, the, the early 80s, uh, pastors used to say, if the doors are open and the lights are on, you need to be here unless you're dying or dead. And, and they were serious about that. And, and they would contact, they would call you the next day, noticed you weren't in church yesterday, and, and is everything okay, and, and so on. And so it was just understood that that was required. And, and not to say that maybe that shouldn't still be the standard, uh, but we certainly would not want to communicate that well, we broadcast now, so just take it easy and stay home. Uh, and there's some reasons for that, and I'm gonna get into that now uh, in just a moment here. Uh, so sometimes we don't appreciate what we have until we don't have it anymore. And I spoke to our, our uh, worship team here after service on Sunday morning, and I said, be prepared, because as I've been praying about this and thinking about it, our return service, whenever that's going to be, the day that we can come back in here and fellowship with one another, we can lift up our hands, raise our voices, worship God. I personally don't know that I'm even gonna have the opportunity to preach that day. I told Sister Angela, our music director and the team that was here, I believe that we are gonna have a jubilee service like this place has never seen before. I think we're gonna rock the foundation of this house. It is gonna be a worship service like none other. And I doubt I'm gonna have the opportunity to preach because I think God is gonna move um, I personally can't wait to hug the necks of all of my friends, see you again, stand side by side, pray, worship with you, and I think it's going to be a wonderful time. So I don't have a lot of fear that, uh, that po- folks will say, well, the, the uh, safe at home has been lifted, but we're just going to continue to stay home. I believe that we're anxious to get back to the house of God, lift up our hands and worship like never before. Uh, I do also believe this considering this circumstance, now that we know that something like this is possible. Uh, God forbid it would ever happen again, but let's be realistic that there is always the possibility that things can happen in nature, uh, things like this that would cause us perhaps to shut down again. Let's pray together that that never happens again before God returns. But in that event, I, I think we would understand and we would respect what we've got a little bit more. And therefore, coming back, Uh, I also said to the group that was here on Sunday morning, I said, when this thing is done, and perhaps even now, we can't be what we were like before it happened. We've got to come out of this thing changed. We've got to take it to a new level. We've got to be in a new place. Respect and honor and appreciate what God provides for us here and the awesome worship services that we have, the time of ministry that we have here, and of course, the fellowship with an awesome family of God Uh, that we all miss so much. I miss all of you so much. Um, So COVID has certainly affected that process uh, and and it's uh, indeterminate at the moment how long it's gonna be. But I I promise you, we're gonna have that reunion service uh, coming up. So now a common quotation when talking about coming to church people use often is Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Uh, That's probably the most quoted one, sometimes misquoted, and that's the scripture that says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. So people like to throw out that not forsaking the assembling of yourselves. And I've had people say, well, if I'm in my home with my family, I'm assembling together. Or if I'm with a group of people out at the campsite, we're assembling together. Well, that's true. The word says where two or more are gathered and so on, and, 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 and people can certainly support their position there. But let's look a little bit, little bit further into this. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, we understand it, and it explains to us that the old law, the old law, the Old Testament law, does not take away sin. As a matter of fact, when they, they made the sacrifice uh, of the animals, uh, sin was pushed forward for a year. The Israelites had to keep coming back. And the most they were in tune with God was at the moment right after their personal sacrifice was made, their sins were cleared and pushed forward. They were most in tune with God. And from there, it was a decline until the following year and so on. But Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that the blood of bulls and goats uh, is not enough anymore. It doesn't remit. It doesn't completely blot out sin. 
It talks about God putting the law into our hearts. It's not something now that's this abstract thing that we follow these specific rules. We don't sacrifice animals anymore uh, for our sins. Jesus was that sacrifice, How apropos for our services coming up shortly. Uh, so his blood being shed is what remits sin. Now, okay, so pastor, how does that relate to coming to church? Uh, the sacrifice of Jesus, uh, as I said, his blood takes away that sin permanently. Now, does that mean once we've, we've uh, been baptized in his name and we've washed away the sin in his blood, that that's it, sin never exists in our lives anymore? No, it does not mean that. Uh, but what it does mean is that the blood is always there and we can partake of that. And uh, we do that through repentance. We do that through living a life godly, seeking not to go back to our old sinful ways, but living for God. And in that scripture in chapter 10, it talks about uh, a new and living way through the sacrifice of his flesh. It says his veil. And, and so what that's talking about is, is in the temple or in the tabernacle, in the case of, of when the Jews were still in the wilderness, uh, the place where they made the sacrifices uh, was in the inner courts of the tabernacle and then the very inner portion of the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant would stay. That's where they took that blood of the sacrifice animal and they would pour it, the one priest, one person, only in the entire nation of Israel, one man was allowed into the presence of God in that place called the Holy of Holies. And so he would take that sacrifice, pour it out on the top gold plate on top of the Ark of the Covenant called the mercy seat. And if God was pleased with that sacrifice, he would send fire and consume that blood and those, sacrifice, those, those sins would be taken for that year. Okay, so that's in the church. Now, there was a veil that stood between the, the inner courts and the Holy of Holies that was very, very thick. Uh, it was uh, enormous. I believe it was 60 to 90 feet tall in the temple in Jerusalem. And again, only one man, the high priest, could ever even transverse under that veil to get into the presence of God. And so when Jesus died on the cross, and the Bible says that at the moment that he passed away, as he died on the cross, that he gave up the ghost, in Jerusalem, in the temple, at that very moment, that massive veil that was separating all of the rest of humanity from the presence of God and, that, and the Ark of the Covenant was completely rent in two. In other words, it was torn from top to bottom, completely in two. And what that represented was, it was to say that through Jesus, through his blood, through his sacrifice, now all of us, you and I, everyone, has access into that holy place, into the presence of God. Okay, so again, pastor, what, how does that relate to coming to church? Well, Sister Brittany and I, who's interpreting for me tonight, are sitting on the platform of our church before the place that we refer to as the altar. We call this the altar because this is the place that after services and at other times, we invite folks to come down, we open our altar, and we come down and we commune with God. We're literally taking the same steps as that high priest would take to enter into the Holy of Holies. We're in the presence of God. In fact, just entering this house when worship is here and two or three or more of us are gathered together worshiping God and his presence is here, it is in effect the same thing as being literally in that small room called the Holy of Holies. Well, can that happen inside your home? Can you have a holy place, a holy of holies, where that sacrifice is? Well, I would say if two or three are gathered, uh, you could, but I think a little bit further down, if we continue to, to study, uh, we'll understand more. Now, if you go backwards a little bit in Hebrews, uh, uh, just a couple of verses to Hebrews uh, 10, 23, and 24, it says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now what that's talking about is holding, holding fast to the profession of our faith without wavering, gathering together, faithful, considering one another. In other words, we, we take care of one another. When we come into the house of God as a family, Yes, you have your family at home and you have that and you can have that experience, but this is talking about 
the whole family of God. Let us consider one another. In other words, take, let's take care of one another. We approach each other here at the house of God. We fellowship, we praise together. Many times in the course of our worship services, uh, we gather together. Small groups will come up during worship and begin to praise and pray together. Pastors will reach out, pray for folks who've come up to pray. In our, in our seats, in our pews, we pray for one another. We're considering one another. And when it says provoke unto love and to good works, what we're simply doing is we're encouraging and we're emboldening one another in this walk that we call Christianity, living, excuse me, Christianity, living for God. We're, 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 we're combining together, assembling ourselves together, exhorting one another, as verse 25 says. What does exhorting mean? It means encouraging, it means lifting up, smiling, giving a hug, a handshake, embracing one another. Well, what's all of that about? It's about unity. It's about being together in unity. Well, pastor, we're not in the church right now. We're, we're stuck safer at home and we're with just our families and no one else. That's absolutely true. And what a blow that's been uh, to some of us who so much enjoy the fellowship that we have uh, here in service. And I hope all of you are appreciating that so much more now that it's been taken away from us. And so uh, exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, what is that day approaching that it's talking about? It's the day when God returns. Uh, the day that uh, all of this, this effort that we're making and striving to live for God and struggling through the life uh, of living uh, upright and living according to his word, it's the day of his return when all of this here, there's gonna be no more need for church. So what it's saying is as you see the day approaching, it's that much more important that you leave your recliner, you relieve, leave your living room, leave the comfort of your home and your television set and forsake not gathering yourselves together here in the house. Uh, we need to be trained up, we need to be encouraged, uh, prepared, we need to bolster one another, we need to encourage and, uh, and it's important as the word tells us that we're given pastors and teachers and preachers and ministers, uh, those that are put over us to teach us and to, to make us aware and minister the word. We have to remember we don't know everything. I don't know everything. I still seek learning and there's uh, great men that I still learn from. Bishop Kylie, for example, still teaching me to this day. I still have a pastor. I still seek the word. I seek God. I go to conferences because I'm still learning. And we just can't settle ourselves to be okay with being home in our recliners. And, uh, and so that's incredibly important. Now there's another key factor to this. Remember the, the, uh, the, the part of, of the message I gave uh, last week's Sunday. I talked about Jesus approaching the fig tree that had, had bore, bore leaves but no fruit. It's important to understand that we, we have to bear fruit. Uh, we have to be effective for the kingdom. What does that mean, Pastor? It means utilizing the talents that God has given us. It means uh, providing what we can to build the kingdom, to reach people, to do what we can using our talents and abilities to do something for God. In other words, we can't do that from our recliners. We can't, it, it, we can't do that just absorbing everything for ourselves. Uh, Matthew 3 and 10 says, and now also the ax is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth forth, not forth good fruit, is hewn down and cast into the fire. Uh, Jesus says it again in Matthew 7 and 19. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And as he looked at that fig tree and it had not produced fruit but leaves first, righteousness first, no, no fruit, uh, he caused it to wither and die. Uh, if we're just spectators, just consumers, viewers, we could be in a lot of trouble. I firmly believe that and the word bears that out. For seasoned Christians, it should never be about coming to get from the church or tuning in to get from the church. It should be about coming to give. We'll get our get, we get our teaching, we get our fill, we absolutely do, but our first and foremost priority should be coming to give. Find a way to teach, find a way to minister, encourage, pray for someone, pray over someone, support them. You just can't have that direct human tactile contact with other people outside your family and your home if your worship is in your recliner. Uh, 
Pastor Rick Warren of, of the, uh, you know, he wrote the famous book um, uh, uh, related to, just popped out of my head. Uh, everyone's saying it right now and they're yelling it at their televisions. Uh, Purpose Driven Life. And he talked about the key ministries of being in church. Worship, word, fellowship, and discipleship. And uh, those things are key elements of our walk and our presence and happen, tremendously happen here in church, but also with other people actively ministering to them. That's through Bible studies, discipleship courses, just fellowshipping with people. Acts chapter 2 and 46 says, and they, conti- they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Now notice what that said in Acts 2 and 46. Now this is just after uh, the great pouring out of the Spirit in 238 when, when Jesus returned in the form of the Holy Ghost. It says, they continuing daily with one accord. Where? In the temple and breaking bread from house to house, not, from, not to temple and house, but breaking bread in the temple and house to house, meaning they fellowshiped and went about with one another. Coming up in the church, it was very common. It was, it was organic. We just commonly got together with groups of people, invited neighbors, we played cards, we had food, we taught Bible studies, and that's how the community was reached. And I believe it's time that we need to get back to that. And I think this time of... Of, of shutdown and safer at home is reminding us exactly uh, of the principle and the priority and the importance of that very point. Uh, and it says, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Singleness of heart simply says unity. That's what it's about. Unity will come from not forsaking assembling yourselves together. So, um, and as I said, our return to this sanctuary, I believe is gonna be a jubilee and I'm so much looking forward to it. So that was question number one. Question two, I'm gonna dive right on in. Question two says, uh, this was a question that entails aspects of end times prophecy from the book of Daniel chapter seven and the book of Matthew chapter 24. Now I know end time prophecy, very deep subject, very broad. There's many, many aspects of scripture and the word prophets, prophecy, revelation, Jesus ministry himself. Uh, you could just get into massive studies on, on Revelation, and we probably should. We should probably get back to that uh, in, in some aspects of our ministries here. And so the question that came that said, basically said, please discuss Jan- Daniel chapter 7 and 25, specifically where it says, and ye shall wear out the saints, or excuse me, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And the correlating scripture in Matthew 24, 22 where Jesus talks about, except those days be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. Now, it, this was, it was tough not to get very deep into this because it's a very, it's a, it gets into a very deep subject. But I firmly believe that you cannot effectively study the book of Revelation without including uh, the prophetic teaching of Jesus and the prophet Daniel uh, in, in the same discourse of study. And so when... In, in, in Daniel chapter seven, this is after Nebuchadnezzar is gone and it's in the first year of, of uh, Belshazzar, the new king of Babylon. Daniel has a dream and uh, has visions of his head while he's on his bed. Uh, and he wrote down the dream telling of the main facts. Not a, not a tremendous amount of detail. Daniel dreams about end times events, uh, kingdoms and rulers that will rise up. Uh, In his dream, the symbology there is beasts, uh, that he mentions beasts, and those are kingdoms that will rise up, and the beasts have horns, and the horns on those beasts represent rulers. Now, one in particular horn, or a ruler that is described there, is the Antichrist. Uh, uh Uh-oh, we got a coughing fit going. Somebody pray for Sister Brittany. In Daniel chapter 7, 19 through 22, Daniel's specific request is, is to know about this, uh, this one particular horn. So 7 and 19 says this. It says, then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured, broke in pieces, and trampled the residue with its feet. And the ten horns that were on it, on its head, and the other horn. Now the other horn is a reference to the Antichrist, which came up before which three fell, namely, 
In other words, three kingdoms fell off when the or leaders fell off when this horn raised up. It says that horn, again, that Antichrist, which had eyes and a mouth, which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints. Now, the reason I'm reading you through this process is because I want to refer back to that statement that said, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and where Jesus said, except those days be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. Keep that in context. So he says, making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days, that is God, of course, came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Now, if this horn represents the Antichrist and he fights against the saints, it does not necessarily mean that the church will be here on earth as a target of the Antichrist during tribulation. I think it's really important to understand that. Now, I realize there's gonna be controversy here, and this is sometimes where opinion can come in, and, and we've gotta be careful not to be contentious with one another. We study these things out. There, there are different views on these aspects of Christian, excuse me, of, of uh, revelation and, and prophecy. Uh, there are different views amongst us Christians in that regard. Uh, but it does not necessarily mean that the saints, meaning us, the Gentile church, is here during the tribulation. And we can say not necessarily because saints can indicate the church uh, or a Jewish remnant in tribulation. Many of us believe that study uh, Revelation, Daniel, uh, Jesus' prophetic statements, many of us believe that the time of great tribulation, that seven-year period, that last seven years uh, of the Antichrist and and, and all the terrible things that are happening, that that last seven years before Jesus returns for good, that period is not meant for the church. That period is strictly meant for, for the Jewish remnant, for the Jews. That's the time when God redeems the Jews back to himself. Okay, and I understand that gets very deep. You can reference Revelation 12 and 17 and Revelation chapter 13 and 7 to understand more. So we have to be very careful how we define the term saints and elect. Don't automatically think those words specifically mean uh, the church. Now, I know there's some folks out there that may have very differing views I don't want to be argumentative. I'm simply answering the question from my teaching and my perspective over the years. Daniel chapter 7, 25 through 27 goes on to say this, and it says, and he shall speak great words against the most high and shall wear out the saints of the most high. Now that phrase, to the person who asked the question, that phrase shall wear out the saints of the most high. Many believe at that time this this antichrist ruler will have come to power after, and we'll talk about it in just a moment, after what we call the abomination of desolation, it's an important point that happens in the temple in Jerusalem, believing that a third temple will be built in Jerusalem, right, right where the temple mount is now, and that this horrible, horrific event will take place and will denote the beginning of this seven-year period. Okay, so there's much controversy as to whether the church you and I, the Gentile church, the saved church, the Acts 2.38 church will be here. The believers, Christian believers, will be here for part of or all of this. Uh, But when it says that he shall wear out the saints of the Most High, again, I believe personally that that predominantly means the Jewish remnant that's here. What does wear out mean? I believe as a political leader, that Antichrist figure is going to begin to persecute people that believe in God or following God or finding God, the saints, he's going to begin to persecute them. How? Primarily through governmental means, persecution, uh, outlawing things, uh, constant elements of persecution like we've never seen before. Uh, Jesus tells us that the the time of tribulation will be unlike anything that's ever been experienced on planet earth or ever will again. And for for those that believe that these things that are prophesied in Daniel happened already when Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70, I'm sorry, but but the planet has seen much more horrific, terrible things happen since that period in history. So we certainly don't believe that that was the period uh, that this is speaking of. And so when it says he shall wear out the saints of the Most High, I believe that has to do with the persecutions 
uh, of those that remain, those that are here at the time the Antichrist is here. Now again, you may argue that the church will be here during part of that. Uh, I'm actually going to be teaching on the Jewish wedding ceremony coming up very soon uh, that speaks directly to that issue, and I think you'll find it very, very interesting. But it says, and think to change times and laws. And so there you go. Uh, That person will change times, change laws. Look what's happened already in our current situation. How easy was it for government under an emergency situation to say, you have to stay in your home. You, You can't leave. Uh, we're, we're shut down. We, there's places we can't go. Businesses have been closed. Um, we can't gather more than 10 people in this building because the government's doing that to protect us and to provide some civil covering. Well, there's some folks that do feel that some things have been stretched a little bit. I'm not going to make comment on that just to know that we're, we're abiding by civil law. But what if civil law comes to a place where it's telling us to defy God's laws? Then we have a problem. And so it says, change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and a times and the dividing of time. This is also known as times and times and a half. This is referenced to that last three and a half year period of that seven year time we call the tribulation period or a time of tribulation. 26 says, but the judgment shall sit and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high. So that's a promise that God's kingdom is gonna be returning. There's gonna be reward for those. Uh, And it goes on to say, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Okay, so that's the Daniel 7 perspective. I know this opens up tons of questions, cans of worms, different pieces. Uh, It is a tremendously detailed study. Uh, So I hope that little snippet does help in relation to uh, uh, that particular piece. Now, in Matthew 24, the correlating verse, 24 and 22, it says, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Now, Essentially, except those days should be shortened. What that's talking about doesn't mean the days will have fewer hours in them. What it's saying is is that those days, the number of days that that persecution will take place uh, has been numbered. It is is numbered in that there will be, there is the opportunity for that Jewish remnant to be saved. The elect's sake for those days shall be uh, shortened. And so that ties into that phrase in Daniel 7. So in Matthew 24, Jesus is leaving the temple. Disciples are showing him the buildings. They're, they're marveling at this beautiful temple. Solomon's temple was, was an amazing uh, piece of architectural structure, seen from miles away, gleaming uh, in the distance with the sunshine. Jesus begins to talk of the destruction of the temple, how every stone is gonna be thrown down, begins talking about the end of the world and, and his coming. And so the, the disciples are asking, well, tell us about this. We wanna know more about it. We wanna understand. And so in verse, excuse me, a little bit further before, in verse 24, verses five through 15, he says this, he says, for many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. And I'm not gonna read every line here, but I'm gonna hit these key points later on. He talks about nation rising against nation. He talks about famines and pestilences and earthquakes and divers places. And these are the beginning of sorrows, he says, He goes on and he talks about, and and many shall be offended and shall betray one another and they shall hate one another. Now, I I believe it's possible that some of these things could be happening even within the churches. It says that uh, false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many because the iniquity shall abound. Dreadful, uh, uh, familial sin, this sin that's passed on in families, iniquity. Uh, it says the love of many shall wax cold. Uh, it means that people will become hateful to one another. Uh, it goes on to say that this, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then the end shall come. And so there's a point, there's some point in this process that the word of God literally reaches all of the world. There is no one person remaining on planet Earth. Now, this is my opinion, uh, that there's not one remaining person that has not at least heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, folks, I think you know that right now, 
considering our current situation, this isn't a national crisis that we're in. It's not even a North American crisis that we're in. Unlike 2008 with the collapse of the, of, of the economy and unlike in 2001 when the 9-11 event happened, those were national tragedies and somewhat regional tragedies and of course in some ways affected the world. The event that we're in right now has affected the entire world. And so churches around the world are broadcasting their word. They're broadcasting the word of God through means like we are tonight, everywhere. It's astonishing to think that there's a possibility that literally every human soul potentially could be hearing the word of God in these broadcasts that we're making because of this crisis. Just incredible. Now, I mentioned a key moment in these, in, in, in these prophecies called the abomination of desolation. Uh, the Antichrist essentially sets himself up in, as God in the temple. If you, You'll find that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The phrase abomination of desolation literally means uh, something has been repla- is replacing God as God in his own temple. That's how, it's how incredible it is. It's an abomination desolating the temple of God by placing some, well, it's the Antichrist. He sets himself up as God to be worshiped. Uh, in verse 15, continue on in that scripture I was just reading, it says, when ye therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, that's actually in Daniel 11, stand in the holy place, you see him do that, whoso readeth, let him understand. Now many believe that this is the time of rapture. Uh, perhaps at that moment, maybe we'll see that, maybe we'll see that Antichrist come to power, the temple has been built, and all the things that have to go along with that have been accomplished, the Ark of the Covenant has been found, and all of a sudden this guy comes forward, this horn that Daniel talked about, this one that raises uh, abomination against God, appears and commits this act in the temple in Jerusalem. Well, that is the beginning of sorrows. That is beginning of those end times. Now, again, there's controversy as to whether we'll see that or not. Will the church see that? There's a wonderful study that talks about uh, the time when Jesus was crucified began a period we know as the dispensation of grace. This is when the prophets only began to see the timeline and the prophetic history of the Gentile, the grace period, the time when God turns to the Gentiles and offers salvation. Prior to that, it was the time of the Jews, the time of the law. During the dispensation of grace, it begins at the cross. Many believe it ends at the abomination of desolation. We don't know the amount of time that that takes, what that period is, but this could be a clue to that, and we should know this. And so, in verse 16... Uh, through 20, it talks about all those in Judea flee when this abomination happens. Uh, Again, that leads me to believe that those who view this are Jews. Those who are affected by it are Jews. It is the time of the Jews. I believe the church will be gone. The church is gone uh, before that time of great tribulation. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 21 through 22, it says that for then shall be great tribulation. Now be careful because many people call this the great tribulation and really that's scripturally errant. Uh, It talks about a time of great tribulation or there shall be great tribulation. Uh, It says such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be as I said a moment ago, and except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened, which I covered just a moment ago. And so uh, to speak to those two verses that were questioned, excellent question, again, opens up a tremendous opportunity for personal study, perhaps even a well-versed, a, well, uh, uh, a, a well-studied person perhaps a pastor, perhaps someone who is in expertise on this. I've done Revelation and end time studies. They are fascinating. Uh, Certainly should not dominate all that we do uh, in in study of the word of God. Uh, But those two verses, I believe, predominantly speak to the Jewish remnant that will be here 
in the end times. Okay, so we're moving right along. I appreciate you guys hanging in with me. Uh, question three, I'm gonna move through. These get a little bit lighter now, so we'll wrap them up here within about 15 minutes. Question three says, how can we distinguish words, phrases, instruction, etc., in scripture that are applicable to all generations, symbolic principle, and type and shadowed in the New Testament versus things that are specifically done and said just for that specific moment or person or situation in scripture. So now that's a really, really tough way to say that, but let me paraphrase it for you. In other words, you've heard me preach many times that there are type and shadowed things from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a mirror of the new. The Old Testament created principle that established, there's symbolic principle that it's established there. It is a book of history. It does tell true stories, things that happened historically in the world, things that were done with the people of God, but there's so much that can be applied. There was so much principle that was established there that carries into the, te- the New Testament. They're literally mirrors of one another. And so oftentimes, I, we'll reference the Old Testament portion. Jesus himself many times in the course of scripture uh, refers directly to the prophecy, d- directly to scriptures of the past. But this question basically is asking, how do we know that everything that happened in the Old Testament, things that were said to certain people, incidences that happened to certain people uh, are applicable to the future or to others or to the New Testament? And I think this is an excellent question. And I am gonna tell you, I don't profess to know this answer Absolutely. But I will give you my answer in terms of what I would do in teaching and continuing to study the word. First Timothy, very famous scripture that we know, First Timothy, excuse me, Second Timothy chapter three, fifteen through seventeen, says this, and it says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able. Now this is this is Paul uh, writing to Timothy. Uh, knowing that Timothy was raised up, taught the scriptures, he was a Jew, he was trained, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, this is at the time of the New Testament happening right now, and so when Paul is talking about the holy scriptures, he's clearly talking about the Old Testament and perhaps some things that had already been written to that point although I can't point to any specifically, so I want to believe that he's referring to the Old Testament, but notice he says, that makes thee wise unto salvation. So what does that tell me? It tells me that the salvation message exists in principle and in word and in example in the Old Testament as it carries into the new. And in the future, we'll talk more about that. I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna preach again about the tabernacle and the salvation message of the tabernacle coming up in the next couple of months. And so, salvation through faith, but then he says, which is in Christ Jesus. He ties the two together. Now, verse 16, all scripture, doesn't say some, most, many, all scripture is given by inspiration of God Uh, Literally, that translates as God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, meaning it's, it's, it's good, it's what we establish doctrine on, for reproof, that means to make sure that things are good and we're doing things right, for correction, which is to talk about the things that we do wrong, and for instruction in righteousness. In other words, teaching us how to live godly, approved lives that God appreciates and God wants us to live. Now, verse 17 says that man, excuse me, that the man of God may be perfect. Doesn't mean that you attain perfection. That means that you are doing well, that you are attaining or striving for being righteous. Uh, Perfect, throughly furnished unto all good works. Okay, so that's what uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, that all scripture is good and beneficial for that. So first and foremost, that tells me that perhaps not everything that happened to every person or in every situation that happened throughout scripture necessarily directly applies in that instruction or that event or that direction to you and everyone else and to me. Possibly, however, all scripture exists for those purposes that I just gave you. Now, someone would say, Pastor, look at Deuteronomy, look at Chronicles, look at some of these, these books that just list all of these genealogies. This one beget that one, and that one beget this one. How does that help me? How does that profitable for me? Well, 
in some cases, I think it's important to understand those lineages and understand that there is a godly plan that this, this thing, this Bible that we study, this, this book of scripture uh, is so intricately interwoven throughout history. It can be proven through history, proven through scripture, proven through the writings of, of the forefathers that giving those lineages, giving all of that detail is just providing its foundation and its solidity and its perfect nature. If you think about it this way, the Bible's been under attack for centuries. If it did not have its power, if it did not have that ability, it would have been destroyed and disproven and discredited long ago. But it stands the test of time and it's always proving itself out. Now, here's a contemporary version of that same scripture starting at 15. It says, from infancy, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. There are over 330 prophecies related to Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. It's incredible. That in itself should tell us that there's so much in that portion of scripture uh, that relates to us today because certainly if we're Christians, followers of Christ, we are tied to those Old Testament prophecies. In Romans chapter 15, verses four through five, it says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime, the things were written in the past, were written for our learning, that we, through patience, and comfort of the scripture might have hope. Now, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Here's the, the contemporary version of that. It says, for everything that was written in the past was written for our instruction. Everything, it says for everything. So that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, may the God who gives, sorry, endurance and encouragement grant you harmony with one another in Christ Jesus. In other words, I think the greatest understanding of all of that is that, again, unity is incredibly important. Unity that we together know that all of the word is for our purposes, for instruction, for direction, for correction, for reproof, and certainly for doctrine. Okay, I've got five minutes to wrap up and I'm on question four. Uh, question four is, what does rightly dividing the word mean? Now that comes from the scripture, uh, also in 2 Timothy. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter two, verse 15, and he simply says, instructs Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed Rightly dividing the word of God. Rightly handle the word of God is another way that you could potentially say that. Okay, so one aspect of this could be thus. The word of God, now many people will simply say, they take the Bible and say, look, dividing is opening it. You know, how many people have we known over the years, uh, even in our per previous lives, pre before uh, coming to God, we had Bibles in our homes, but they were just a lovely little fixture on our shelf collecting dust, uh, never opening it. So many believe, and I think, that right, part of rightly dividing the word is opening it. In other words, get the thing open and study it, right? But understand that the word of God is a sword. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12 that the, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is powerful, and to rightly divide it, meaning handling it rightly, you've got to handle it like an extremely sharp sword. So study the word, show yourself approved unto God. In other words, know the word, don't be loose with it, and handle it like a sharp sword. It's very careful. You can hack and slash people to death with the word of God, or you can do a little bit of surgery very delicately and very carefully. Uh, so that's one way that I look at it. The word of God is planting seed, and so it's important that we plow the rows the straight way, the right way, and, and with the word of God. And so that means we present the truth of the doctrine carefully, plant the right seeds. 
How about properly dissect? Maybe another way to look at rightly dividing, arranging the word of God. In other words, don't take things out of context. Don't be incomplete when you share the word of God. A lot to, to, to each portion, to each person, their portion, uh, kind of like you're distributing food on a table when you're sharing the word of God. Uh, the Bible tells us that babes need the milk of the word. Young people, young Christians, new people. You can't dump all that heavy duty, uh, deep prophetic word we were just talking about on someone brand new just walking in the door. You gotta share the sincere milk of the word. And so that is rightly dividing it. This also means that there is a, a way to wrongly divide the word. That's, uh, you hear people will say, well, that's your interpretation. I have my interpretation. Everyone has their own. The Bible does not mean uh, just what anyone wants it to mean. It, it's not open for your interpretation and therefore it can be wrongly divided if there's a way to rightly divide it. We can't just pick the interpretation that seems most uh, comfortable to us or makes uh, consistent with our personal beliefs. We have to take it in its entirety. And so we hear things like, judge not lest ye be judged. You hear that all the time. That's from Matthew chapter seven and one. People say it all the time, just like that. I've heard a thousand times. But that's not even correct. The correct scripture reference says, judge not that you be not judged, okay? That's the correct interpretation. It doesn't mean that you don't have a right to judge a person's behavior or anyone else's. Jesus would have broken his own commandment if that was the case. He often judged people's bad behavior and their sin. Uh, he told the woman caught in sin and adultery, go and sin no more. He told her it was sin. Uh, uh, does that mean we run around point at everybody's sin and hack them up and, and, and uh, judge them uh, harshly? No, uh, but if you look at Matthew 7 and 2, you have to include that as well because it says, uh, for, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. So it, it clearly says, with judgment you judge, you'll be judged, and with the same measure, it will be measured back to you. So we gotta be careful. If you're gonna be harshly judging folks, you better watch out that there's not a beam in your own eye, right? Uh, so Jesus was just saying, don't judge anyone by a standard you're not willing to be judged by. God will hold you to the same standard you hold others to. It's a very scary place to be. Uh, it doesn't say don't judge at all. Uh, certainly it's important to judge situations, whether you should participate in them, judge things for yourselves, be a, be a discerner of things. Uh, but judging other people can be very dangerous. Um, don't be a hypocrite. Constant judgmental attitude is dangerous. Don't be hurtful to people. Restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, Galatians 6 and 1 says. So we have to be very careful with that and how we use the word. That was just one example. Ultimately, we can rightly or wrongly divide the word. So I encourage you, open it, study it, and share the word of God and, and uh, be careful how we go about it. And uh, so that is my answer. Um, I'm coming up right on my time right now at eight o'clock. I know we started a little bit late, uh, but I wanted to keep this just about an hour if I could. So I very, very much appreciate all of the questions that were sent in. If you have further ones, uh, just, uh, just wanna ask, certainly you're willing to call me up or, or send me an email. Uh, but I thought that was a very interesting exercise, very well thought out questions. Hope it was a benefit to you. If you have uh, suggestions on another way we can do this at another time, I would enjoy uh, a similar process. As I said, uh, Bishop Kylie, you might be up on the stage with me here next time and maybe we'll do an interview process and hear from our bishop uh, when the time is right. So God bless everybody. I'm gonna continue to reach out. I've got more on my list. Uh, uh, good reports again coming in. Uh, folks are, are uh, keeping in good spirits. Uh, there's Bible studies happening, and there's phone calls happening, and there's, uh, uh, things are being sent back and forth amongst one another. Uh, we're reaching out to those who need God's word, and I'm working on a few projects myself and uh, looking forward to uh, the days when we can return for our Jubilee celebration. Uh, other than that, I'm gonna wish you good night. God bless my church. I love all of you. Thank you to my trustee board. Uh, we had a great meeting on Monday night. We're taking care of some issues here at church. They're doing a phenomenal job. Uh, our pastor board, again, wonderful uh, meeting last night, a Zoom meeting uh, covering some of our future plans and things coming very shortly. Uh, church, we've got an awesome group of people uh, leading in all aspects. Our Sunday school department, our, our uh, other departments are, st are still at it. They're still working uh, and they're still doing the work of the evangelist.
And I'm really very, very proud of everybody for, for hanging on during this process and being very gracious to me and, and understanding of, of my time and the things that I'm uh, working through right now as well. So I love you all, appreciate you, and I'm looking forward to Friday night when we commune together and, uh, and remember the sacrifice our Savior made. God bless. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.